invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to our sermon text this morning, which is Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, as we continue in our series through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, and as you'll notice uh, in the reading, we'll pick it up just about halfway through verse 18. As we read, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As we consider these these words from uh, the Apostle Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi while he was imprisoned in Rome for two years. This was during his first imprisonment in Rome. He was, we know, imprisoned a second time after this, around 67 AD, under Emperor Nero. And that second imprisonment actually led to Paul's execution. But here, as he writes to the church in Philippi, the reality of the danger to his life, we need to understand, was overwhelming. The Roman Empire was becoming by this time more and more aware of the growth of Christianity. And it was becoming more and more suspicious of this uh, new religion. We know that uh, Christianity was a religion that forbid emperor worship. Our faith teaches that there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, and he alone is to be worshipped. It is a religion that worships a man that the Roman Empire executed. And we also know that it is a religion that at this time in the Roman Empire was growing. It was growing to the point where even the elites in the empire were beginning to convert to Christ, were beginning to show a saving faith. And so this new religion, Christianity, that... Rome first, you know, thought was just a sect within Judaism that would soon die out. This religion was becoming the cause of some concern amongst the leadership of Rome. In fact, we know that Philippians was written around 62 A.D. And just two years later, in 64 A.D., Emperor Nero, in his madness, He set fire to Rome, burning the majority of the city. 
And he ended up accusing the Christians for that crime. And that event brought a wave of persecution over the church. Uh, We know from historical accounts that Christians were uh, crucified. Uh, They were killed by wild animals in the arenas. Uh, They were set on fire for uh, the pleasure of uh, Roman citizens to watch. And this was all, this was all because they professed faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we, as we read Paul's letter to the Philippians, you know, we need to note the sense of danger to Paul's life. We need to understand that it was a real danger that the Apostle Paul at this point was really walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It was a real threat. You know, we see this especially in our passage this morning. As the Apostle Paul writes with, as we see, some uncertainty about his future. He he is in prison, and he doesn't know whether he'll make it out alive. He's not sure. And we know that he will, because we're on this side of history, but, you know, Paul at this point, as he's writing to the Philippians, he himself was rather unsure. And what I want us to see this morning is Paul's confidence in the Lord. His confidence in the Lord, even as he faces so much uncertainty in life. Again, he, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. And, you know, as we consider uh, this passage, uh, most of us, most of us this morning are not going to be facing such uh, circumstances as Paul. But I want us to see that Paul, in the midst of these very difficult circumstances, Paul remains confident in the Lord. In fact, he says in verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice. Though I am in prison, though I am in chains, though my life is in danger, I will rejoice. In fact, he uses the verb rejoice nine times in the letter to the Philippians. Loved ones, what we see in the Apostle Paul is that his joy, his joy was rooted in Christ and not in his circumstances. See, our circumstances change for better or for worse, but we know that Christ does not change, and so we are always to find our main source of joy in Christ and in Christ alone. And so I want to ask this morning, how can you and I, how can we have Paul's attitude when we face difficulties, and uncertainties. You know, you and I may not be in Roman prisons, but we each have our own uh, dangers, toils, and and snares, do we not? Our own difficult circumstances and hard providences. For some of us this morning, it may be uh, a recent diagnosis from a doctor or an ongoing medical condition. Perhaps it's struggles at work with your boss or with a manipulative coworker, difficulties in your marriage or with your children, perhaps even difficulties with yourself, your own fight against sin and and seeking after holiness, perhaps your own struggles with anxiety and and fear and, and depression. 
How can we, loved ones, how can we have Paul's attitude when we're faced with difficulties and uncertainties as he was? We need to first consider the importance of our prayers for one another as we seek to answer this question, to consider the importance of our prayers for one another. As the Apostle Paul says, again in verses 18 and 19, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, namely the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What we see here is that Paul is indicating that the prayers of the Philippians serve to ensure his deliverance. What does Paul mean by that? Is he saying that he believes that he will be released from prison? Well, actually, what Paul is referring to, loved ones, he's referring to his ultimate salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This word deliverance can sometimes refer to a rescue from physical danger. And as we said, you know, Paul really was in physical danger at this time. But it also refers to rescue from a spiritual danger, uh, especially uh, from our sins and the consequences of our sins. And so Paul is using it in this sense, because in every other place that Paul uses this word, he's speaking about spiritual salvation when he's speaking about deliverance. And we see that even in verse 21, he he describes his assurance that on the last day, the last day when Jesus returns and we will all stand before him, the one who will judge the living and the dead as we confess this morning, Paul says that on that last day, he will not be ashamed, but that With full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. See, Paul is assured. He's assured that whether he lives or dies, he is confident that he will be ultimately saved in the spiritual sense, that Christ will receive Paul into his presence with great joy. I want you to notice, loved ones, notice that one of Paul's sources of confidence and assurance is is primarily here we see the prayers of the church. Verse 19 again, for I know that through your prayers, church in Philippi, through your prayers, this will turn out for my deliverance, my salvation. I want you to notice that Paul does not see himself as alone in that prison. Instead, what does he do? He takes comfort in the fact that the Philippians and and perhaps many other churches that he had influenced and that he had pastored and that he had planted, many other churches are also praying for him in these very difficult circumstances. And so, friends, I want to encourage you this morning to also take comfort in the fact that you are regularly being prayed for. You know, one of the the benefits that you and I have, one of the blessings that we have of being a part of a church, of of being a member especially of, of our church, 
is that you are part of a covenant community in which we regularly pray for one another. You know, in the uh, bulletin insert, in the home worship guide section of the bulletin insert, I include a family or an individual's name from our church for us to pray for each day of the week. And so, you know, you can be assured that on that particular day when your name is listed, there are people in this room. There are people in this church who are bringing your name before the Father. They're praying for you. And we also have in our church a prayer chain. It's an email blast that goes out to uh, subscribers. And, and many of us have posted prayer requests on the prayer chain. And we have found comfort in, in knowing that our brothers and sisters in the church are praying for us. And we also spend time in our Bible studies praying for one another because we believe. We believe as Paul did and as the Bible teaches us that God hears our prayers for one another and he also answers our prayers. Loved ones, think about how comforting this was for Paul. He's imprisoned. Surely he felt alone at times, but he found comfort in knowing that other Christians were thinking about him. And they were bringing his name before the Father. You know, this is one of the challenges of the difficulties that come into our lives. So often, the difficulties that we experience, the troubles that we experience, they make us feel isolated, make us feel like we are alone, especially when the the trouble is personal or, or it's internal and we hesitate to share it with others. Beloved ones, I want to encourage you this morning to look outside of yourself and, and to look to this church, to look to the people that are sitting to your right and to your left and to trust that your name is regularly being brought before the Father in prayer by those who love you and by those who care for you. And, you know, this is happening, loved ones. This is happening not just as our church is praying for you that someone is bringing your name before the Father, but it is also happening because the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for each and every one of us. Our Lord Jesus is praying for us, even now. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 31, uh, the Lord Jesus foretells Peter's denial of him. Uh, He says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Think about what the Lord Jesus is saying to to Peter in this instant. The the warning that Jesus gives Peter is is a violent image. Uh, In order to get the edible grain and wheat, what had to be done was it had to be shaken, it had to be beaten or sifted violently in order for the grain to be separated from the hole. And that hole that was left over was known as, as chaff. 
And we know that some father, farmers in the ancient world would actually spread their grain on the floor and they would thrash the, the wheat in order to, to separate the whole from it. And so what we hear now in, in the words of the Lord Jesus is, Peter, Satan wanted to sift you in this way. It's a violent image. But what does the Lord Jesus assure Peter of? He demanded to have you, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Loved ones, we have one who is our brother, one who is our Lord, our sustainer, our Savior, who is in heaven at this very moment, who continues to pray for us in order that our faith might be strengthened. We read the same assurance in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that the Lord Jesus' prayers for us are ongoing. He says in that verse, uh, Jesus is able, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is able to save to to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always lives to make intercession for you and for me. You know, we, we get an insight into what the Lord Jesus is praying for us, what he is praying for us there at the right hand of the throne of God. We get an insight from his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Here are some examples of, of how the Lord Jesus prays for us. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. The Lord Jesus is praying for our perseverance. The Lord Jesus is praying for our unity. Verse 15 of John 17, he prays and says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Praying for our, for our protection against Satan. And then verse 17 Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Lord Jesus is praying for our spiritual growth, our sanctification, our holiness. See, loved ones, we find joy. We find joy in knowing that our brothers and sisters in the church are praying for us. But we also find joy in knowing that our Savior in heaven is praying for us. Secondly, we see that we find joy as we Trust that the Holy Spirit will help us in times of trouble. As we see again in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now notice in verse 19 that Paul is referring here to the Holy Spirit, but he calls him the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, why why doesn't he simply just call him the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit, we know, was sent by Jesus after his ascension into heaven. The Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to apply all of Christ's benefits to believers. It's the Holy Spirit, loved ones, that unites us to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that creates that bond between us and our risen and ascended Lord. 
It's the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that creates that union with him so that we might receive all of his blessings as we are united to him. You know, we see the importance of understanding our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit when we consider doctrines like the Lord's Supper. This is where we really see the importance of this wonderful doctrine of union with Christ when we consider the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, which we will soon be celebrating this morning. You know, one of the questions that the church wrestled with for centuries, especially during the Reformation, was how do we commune with the human nature of Jesus if he is at the right hand of the throne of God? If he has ascended and he is seated there, how are we connected to him? How are we to feed on his body and his blood as he commanded in the scriptures? How is that possible if he is so far away, so separated from us? And John Calvin pointed out that we commune with Jesus in the Lord's Supper by the Holy Spirit. According to Calvin, Christ's human body is in heaven, but it does not have to descend in order for you and me to truly partake of it because the Holy Spirit affects our communion with him, creates that communion bond. The Holy Spirit is the bond of the believer's union with Christ. See, Christ is still the God-man. His human nature is localized in heaven, and we await his physical return on the last day. But until then, you and I are united to him through the third person of the Godhead. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We read this uh, assurance from the Lord Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 16, when he promised to send the Spirit. He said that I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And so Paul, as he writes to the Philippians, he tells them, he tells them that he finds joy in knowing that the Holy Spirit has united him to Christ. And that in this very difficult time in his life, the Holy Spirit is with Paul, uniting him to Christ, strengthening him. Loved ones, let's consider again John 14, 6, the words of the Lord Jesus, the promise that he will give us another helper to be with us forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Notice in John 14, 6 that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as another helper. The word helper has the idea of, of a comforter, uh, of someone who provides comfort and, and assurance. But, you know, even as we hear that word comforter, it can, it can be a little bit misleading if we don't understand where this word is rooted. Uh, because even as we hear that word, when we think of a comforter, what quickly comes to mind usually? Uh, maybe a soft blanket, right? Something that at the end of a long day you wrap yourself in and you doze off to sleep. It's what we often think about when we hear the word comforter. 
But that's not what this word helper or, or comforter means in this passage. Because comfort is derived from the Latin, and it means with strength. With strength. And so the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus is saying, is, is not just like a blanket who comforts us at the end of a difficult situation, but he is one who gives us strength in the midst of those difficult situations and in the midst of the hard providences that come to us in life. And it's by the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of his difficulties that we see the Apostle Paul is able to rejoice, to remain confident, we see, to have assurance. So, loved ones, I want to encourage you this morning that the same Holy Spirit is working in you and in me now to strengthen us in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our trials. And he is always with us, but we read in Scripture that we get a special sense of his presence in times of trouble, in times of adversity. You know, many of us this morning have gone through or are going through very difficult situations, difficult circumstances. And you, like me, uh, might have thought at one point, seeing another Christian going through your same circumstances before you experienced such difficulties, you might have thought, you know, I see what they're going through, and I could, I could never endure something like that. My, my faith would surely falter if I experienced such hard circumstances myself. And loved ones, then it happened in your own life. The difficult providence came upon you, and, and here you are. You're in church. But you see, you're remaining steadfast. You're strong in your faith. How? Why? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit who has strengthened you and who is uniting you to Christ, granting you all the blessings from your risen and ascended Lord. That's what he does for each of us. We are able then to rejoice as he unites us to our source of joy, which is the Lord Jesus. And so in difficult circumstances and providences, loved ones, we need to keep in mind that we have the prayers of the church, of brothers and sisters who love you and care for you. We have the prayers of Christ who loves us with an everlasting love. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we see that we have a biblical view of life and of death. We have a biblical view of life and of death, one that we are to develop and to cultivate. You know, there used to be a very popular bumper sticker. I haven't seen it around lately, but it was a popular bumper sticker that pretty much summed up the world's view of life. Um, and it said, he who dies with the most toys wins. It was very popular for a time. And you read that bumper sticker and you give some thought to what that worldview teaches. And it teaches that life is all about accumulating wealth and the goal is to accumulate more than 
anybody else, only to die, and we know, to lose it all. You know, that is a crazy way to live. There is no joy in that worldview. There's no hope in that worldview. But notice, loved ones, the source of Paul's joy. It's knowing that he has Christ in both life and in death. Verses 21 through 24 of our passage, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, as we look at verse 22, it's important for us to see that Paul doesn't mean that he can choose whether to live or die. As we know, loved ones, it's a decision that is in the Lord's hands. But Paul is referring to the fact that you know, he's not sure which he prefers, which he thinks is better. See, he sees the benefits of both living and of dying, a true Christian worldview. He sees the benefits of living, that if he is released from his imprisonment and he's not executed, he says, then there will be fruitful labor for him, more ministry, more preaching, more missionary work, more writing. And we know that when he was released from this first imprisonment in Rome, that he did continue his mission work. He continued to serve the Lord Jesus. In fact, after he was released from this first imprisonment in Rome, he wrote the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy, all before he was, we know, imprisoned again and sadly, ultimately executed. And before you know, we move on too quickly, I want us to to notice Paul's determination just in thinking about those two imprisonments. Notice he's in prison for preaching Christ. Here, as he's writing to the Philippians, he's in prison because he was preaching Christ. And he says that if I get out of here alive, I'm going to go right back to preaching Christ. I'm going to go right back to doing exactly what landed me in here. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to throw in the towel if I get out of here. I'm going to buy a a beach house on Malta and just relax for the rest of my life. No, loved ones, he sees the benefits of his survival, that if the Lord preserves his life, what will he do? He will continue serving the Lord. But we see that he also understands the benefits of his death. What are the benefits? He says that of going and being with Christ in glory. And loved ones, this is the biblical mindset that you and I have to develop as Christians. We have to develop this biblical mindset because the world is completely antithetical to this mindset. We know that non-Christians seek to cling to this life because they are convinced that 
this is all there is. He who dies with the most toys wins. They are convinced that after we die, there is nothing but darkness and oblivion and, and nothingness. You know, that would depress anybody. Loved ones, the Bible points us to a different hope, a true hope. It's a hope that we see is found in Christ. It's a hope that is not just for this life, but it's for eternity. It's forever. It's the hope that Jesus spoke to the dying thief on the cross. Children, do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus to the dying thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. As he said to that man beside him, that when you close your eyes here, you will immediately open them in glory. That is our hope, loved ones. The word reminds us of this wonderful hope that we have. And in his grace, God has even given us this table that is before us, this table that is, as we'll hear again, a foretaste of heaven. It is a heavenly feast. It's a small piece of bread, we know. It's a small cup of wine. But when we eat and when we drink, you and I this morning will be lifted up to heaven by the Holy Spirit, and we will be nourished by our Savior, Jesus Christ, who we know is now ruling and reigning over all. Amen. Let us pray.